and welcome to the OASBO podcast. My name is Callie Wells, Director of Marketing and Communications at OASBO. Thank you for tuning in today. This week, we'll learn more about parliamentary procedure, but first, a few reminders. OASBO has a number of seminars coming up in the month of September, including the Treasurer Fall Hot Topics Seminar on September 8th, Accounts Payable and Purchasing Regional Seminars throughout the month of September, and the Treasurer CFO Planning Series for the second quarter on September 12th. Learn more about these seminars and register at learn.oasbo-ohio.org. Next, OASBO is taking the delivery of educational content to a higher level this year by announcing a call for presentations for our new Quick Learn Sessions. Our Quick Learn Sessions will be a series of 15 to 30-minute webinars on a variety of educational topics benefiting school business officials. All OASBO members are welcome and encouraged to submit presentations. Learn more on our website and in emails coming to your inbox soon. Next is an update from OASBO's Executive Director, Jim Rowan, on stress and time management. I had the opportunity to attend some professional development relating to stress and time management in challenging times. The presentation was done by Denise Ryan with Firestar Speaking. I thought I would share some of the key concepts that I picked up in hopes that you might find some relief in managing stress over the coming months. Time seems to be the number one issue when it comes to stress. There never seems to be enough time to get everything done. Some of those time wasters include lack of planning, lack of organization, interruptions, procrastination, lack of delegation, too many meetings or ineffective meetings, not saying no, and poor communications. An interesting statistic that was pointed out is that 28% of our day is spent dealing with emails. Further, we waste 20 minutes a day over checking emails. One possible solution that Denise offered was to only check your emails during certain times of the day. One acronym that she offered up hit close to home with the word Ohio, meaning only handle it once. Now, for the Buckeye fans tuned into this podcast, I don't think that is what you think of when you hear the letters O-H-I-O. Recognizing those stressful issues is one thing, but managing stress is totally another. A few suggestions to manage stress were meditation, breathing exercises, eating right, and exercise. At the end of the session, we conducted an exercise on how to set yourself on fire Denise pointed out six simple tasks. Number one, you have to want it. What are three things that are important to you? Number two, wake up, stop making excuses. Number three, conquer fear. Don't fear failure. Failure is inevitable. Learn from your mistakes. Number four, set big, red hot goals. Set realistic goals. These goals could be personal or professional goals. These goals could be family, friends, fun, spiritual, financial, excellence, you name it. Number five, believe. You have to believe in yourself. And number six, act. Take action. To quote William James, the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. I wish you the best as you plan for the 2022-2023 school year. Thank you, Jim. For the rest of this episode, you're going to be hearing a portion of our recent webinar on parliamentary procedure with Holly Reedy from Ennis Britton. You'll also hear OASBO COO Kim Lowry facilitating the webinar and posing the questions from attendees to Holly. Let's take a listen. 
it's great to be here today. I, no one is more surprised than me that we have so many people interested in parliamentary procedure today, but I am so glad that we do um, because I really think that this is a tool that can be used to our advantage, particularly as treasurers, to make sure that you have efficient meetings and minutes that are not um, making your life worse to prepare. So um, we've got a lot of material to cover. If you've got a question, throw it in the chat box. Kim will um, throw it up to me and uh, we'll, we'll get through it. So um, let's get started. So what are we gonna discuss today? We're gonna discuss using parliamentary procedure as a sword, as a way to kill unwanted motions, to extinguish things that are bad, using it as a shield to protect you from, from stuff, um, using parliamentary procedure in general. Um, the fourth topic is something I like to call second second or things not to do with parliamentary procedure and second second is one of those. There's no such thing. Although I do hear people doing it. It's amazing how the myths of using parliamentary procedure have managed to perpetuate themselves over the years. Um, next, we'll talk about amending motions, amendments for a thousand Alex. Uh, we're gonna do double jeopardy, some more intense stuff. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about abstentions and how that affects you in, ter in terms of determining whether votes you know, passed or failed or whatever, not necessarily in that order. So, um, okay, so why should you, or to be frank, anyone, care about parliamentary procedure. Ordinarily, when I talk about it, people start smirking or actually laughing. Um, so, well, I have some thoughts about why we should care. So I know that you as treasurers have to be at the board meetings. You have a front row seat to how board meetings are going uh, in Ohio and across the country. And you know that it's not great out there. There's a lot of anger and hatred and ignorance. We're talking about books in the library and transgender students and CRT and a lot of controversial stuff. Um, so to go out there and face that, we wanna have our own machine and our own house in order. So, you know, when I go to a board meeting, it may not surprise you to know that I do not get invited to good board meetings, happy board meetings where nothing is wrong. I only get invited to the worst possible meetings. So, you know, people are mad and they're upset and I'm ready for that. And that's my job. So, and unfortunately, as treasurers, you have to sit there for every meeting. So it's also your job. So when you and your board have a firm grip on your process, you're going to be able to do the public business of the public body in an assured and efficient way. And even if people are there to tell you what their uh, you know, opinion is, however uninformed by the facts or knowledge of how a school district works, they see that you are a functioning body and it also helps you get things done, get the business done on the agenda and get out of there. And secondly, sometimes the caller is inside the house, if you know what I mean. You have new board members, you've got old board members whose sole goal may be to pander to their quote unquote constituency or post about things on their you know, Facebook group or have a single crusade against the superintendent or the athletic director or whatever their pet issue is. Um, so being armed with more proficiency and using this meeting management tool is hashtag goals to moving things forward and getting business done in a structured way. So this presentation is gonna go over some of the ways that rogue board members can be managed. Don't tell them I said it. Okay, um, now we're recording this. Um, so meeting proceedings become the minutes. So the minutes of a regular special meeting shall be promptly prepared, filed, maintained, opened um, to the public upon request. So, you know, because you're, if your meeting is chaos, your preparation of the minutes could be chaos as well. So chaos breeds chaos, no one wants that. Um, so the reason is because you don't run the meeting, you're the treasurer. 
uh, you're the clerk, you used to be called the clerk of the board, you're now the chief financial officer, but you are legally responsible for preparing the minutes of the meeting. And it says so right there in Ohio law, as part of your duties that you shall record the proceedings of each me meeting in a book. Remember the board book? I don't know if you've been a treasurer for a long time, but there's a thing called a board book, which, you know, has been around forever, which is really where, you know, the minutes are supposed to be in this board book, even though most minutes are available on your website electronically now. Um, but anyway, this is the statute that makes it your job to prepare the minutes and your responsibility. So you want to make sure that you know um, how to accurately do that. So wouldn't it be nice if people used parliamentary procedure in a way that made it clear what exactly was voted on, the results of the vote, so that you could easily prepare the minutes? How many times have you gotten to the end of a board bumbling its way through something and voting on it and then thinking, what exactly did they just vote on? Well, I have some thoughts on how we can clean that up. So did you know that the purpose of parliamentary procedure is to protect the rights of the minority by creating a structure where they can be heard before a body acts? That's actually what it's for. And there is actually over a thousand years of English and American legislative experience with parliamentary procedure, which makes it, you know, super nerdy. Um, but and did you also know that until a motion is restated by the chair, the maker of the motion can revise that motion, withdraw it, but once the chair restates the motion, the maker of the motion cannot do either of those things without the approval of the assembly. So that's one reason for the chair to restate the motion. Um, you know, once somebody makes a motion and it's seconded and you have discussion, the chair should restate the motion. And that's a frequently missed step. And it's important to maybe bring that up with your board and ask them to start doing that as a practice. And parliamentary procedure is one of those things that the more you use it, the better you get at it. So doing these motions and understanding how they work, the more you do it, the easier it will be. Um, also, some things that are proper under Robert's rules as they relate to just societies in general um, are inapplicable and also impermissible when applied to us as a political subdivision of the state of Ohio. So I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Parliamentary procedure, Robert's Rules is gold standard. Um, most of you in your policy manual somewhere in that 1,200 pages of policy um, have adopted Robert's Rules as your method of running your meetings. So just check and see if it's in there. Um, you are supposed to adopt it by policy. Most the two major policy providers both do that. Um, the board may use a less formal approach. And the other important thing to remember is that Robert's rules are not law. It's just a system that is used to conduct meetings efficiently. So it's also important to know that if you make a mistake in parliamentary procedure, it's you haven't broken the law and you don't have to worry about it too much. You, there may be a specific voting majority that could be a problem, but not um, as it relates to Robert's rules. So where does Robert's rules intersect with the law, voting, okay? So to, for example, um, to employ uh, an employee, we need three affirmative votes, right? That is a specific voting majority that's required by law. Most motions pass on a majority of those present and voting, but there's a whole list of things in the Ohio Revised Code, um, which begins at Revised Code 3313.18. There's a you know, bunch of them listed in there. There are other statutes that require different voting majorities. Now, I don't know if you have a list of those, and I will tell you that 
um, the Ohio School Boards Association has a fact sheet called Voting Makes a Difference. I don't know if um, OASBO has a companion piece or something just as good as or better than that, but it's a great thing to print out and put in a binder that you take to every one of your meetings because it lists out all the specific voting majorities that you need um, under Ohio law to pass a motion. Very useful. Okay, so let's now talk about the precedence of motions. I can see everyone fading out now, but let me explain the um, upside down cake theory. And this is my patented theory. And could, you know, are there possibly more logical ways to explain parliamentary procedure? Yes, but this is what works for me and helped me understand it. So this is how I'm going to explain it to you. Plus, we get to see a lot of pictures of cakes. So if you look at a cake and, you know, it's like a, like a tiered cake. So you see the cake there and you see I've put a yellow box around the smallest layer of the cake. Um, that is the main motion. So when someone makes a motion in parliamentary procedure, I move that we establish casual Fridays at work. That's the main motion. And then any other motion that comes on top of that motion has to be scraped off, eaten, or otherwise dealt with or disposed of before you get back to the main motion. So when you have a main motion on the floor and something else is applied to it, such as a motion to amend or something else, which we're gonna talk about, we must get rid of this second layer of the cake before we deal with the main motion. In other words, we cannot vote on the main motion until we have disposed of the other layers. Okay. so. The main motion is, you know, this is the idea before the public body for action or resolution. So I move that we establish super casual Fridays at work up to and including pajamas. Um, this may be made only when no other motion is pending. So it's one thing at a time, right? One main motion at a time. So that's the motion that's, you know, on the floor. So now let's talk about the second layer of the cake. These are called subsidiary motions. There's a whole bunch of them, but they are motions that are applied to another motion and they do something. They affect the main motion in some way. So in our example, if you know a motion was moved and seconded to establish super casual Fridays at work, and I said, well, I think pajamas is a little too much because I don't want to know what people are, you know, what their pajamas are. So I think we should have just, you know, casual. So I'm making a motion to amend that main motion. That is a subsidiary motion. And we have to vote on whether to amend that motion as I suggested or not. Um, there's also, if you want to get real nerdy about it, hierarchy of which subsidiary motions take precedence over what other motions. Don't worry, we're not going to um, get into that. There are seven subsidiary motions, including commonly used ones, such as the motion to amend, the motion to refer, the motion to lay on the table, to postpone definitely or indefinitely, and to call the previous question. So those are some examples of common subsidiary motions that you may want to use. Those motions do not stand on their own. There has to be a main motion on the table before you can amend something, right? There has to be something to amend. <clears throat> okay, moving on. Precedence of motions. These apply to the main motion. They affect the main motion. They cover the main motion. They're that second layer of the cake and they must be acted upon before the main motion can be acted upon. So here's just kind of a list um, to suspend the rules. There's all sorts of ones that you can use. And these are motions that you, these aren't like obscure 
weird motions that nobody uses. These are motions that you actually can use to get rid of things or make things go away. And I'm going to talk about how you can do that in a little bit once we get through the, the basics here. Um, privileged motions. Okay, so that's the bottom biggest layer of the cake. These are motions that are so important that they have to be acted upon immediately once they are brought. They take precedence over all other motions. Um, examples to adjourn or recess, you know, such as the meeting has been going really bad. I am now in fear for my safety. So I need to go and call the sheriff and get the sheriff out here. <laughs> we would use the motion to recess and that has to be dealt with immediately. Or I see smoke coming from the back of the building. Maybe we should exit the building. Um, to fix the time of the next meeting, a question of privilege, I'm gonna to touch on those, not much, and to call for orders of the day. Those are examples of privileged motions, some of which may be more useful than others. Okay, so now, incidental motions, they are again, related to the main question in some way that they have to be decided before the main motion. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, they relate to the main motion. So they are sort of a subsidiary, they're a type of subsidiary motion. Um, some of the examples of what an incidental motion is, um, they do need to be acted upon before the main motion. So to rise to a point of order, um, Chair, uh, I believe that my fellow board member has just insulted my hairdo and I would like you to tell them to stop doing that. Um, so to appeal, from you know some procedural issue to spend the rules that requires a two-thirds vote to create special rules to withdraw or renew a motion that is an incidental motion that has to be dealt with before you can get back to the main motion so if i've decided suddenly that my motion is not going the way i want it to go um, i can move to withdraw the motion and the board has to vote on that before it can get back to my motion to call the roll, any member can demand that. And also the motion to object to consideration, which I'm gonna talk about. That is a special voting majority, a two thirds vote. Okay. Before you move on, I have a question that came up. Um, the question is if a board recesses, can all board members leave the room? The answer is yes. If the, okay, so a recess is just a temporary, I, you know, it is what you think it is, right? It's a temporary break in the meeting. It is not an adjournment. A recess means that you will be coming back into the room to reconvene the meeting and then adjourn at some point. We do not recess to another day. Um, so that's some, sometimes comes up. Um, so yes, you can take a short recess and it's very important to remember that a recess is always available. You know, if you need to go get more information, you need to go get your lawyer on the horn. You need to, you know, find out some kind of information. You can take a recess. You can call the sheriff. This has been done. Um, so, uh, sometimes, you know, in advance that you're going to need the sheriff, but sometimes you don't. So, uh, so yes, recess is always, and you know, I would say we're going to take a five minute recess. We're going to take a 10 minute recess. We're going to take a 20 minute recess. We're all going to run to our cars and wait for the police, you know, whatever. Okay. Anything else there, Kim? No, thank you. Okay. All right. Moving on to abstentions. So, there's a lot of weird uh, beliefs out there about abstentions. No board member is required to vote. Now, with that said, board members are elected to office, and the point of them being elected to office is to opine on the issues of running and managing the school district. So it is not cool for board members to say, this issue is controversial. I don't want to vote on it. That's not why you're there. You are there to vote on issues. But with that said, we cannot make someone vote. 
um, board members may have conflict of interest, a legal conflict of interest. You know, if we're hiring my um, daughter to do something um, in the school district, I can't vote on that. Um, there's also an appearance of impropriety issue. That means it's not a legal conflict of interest, but everyone might think if I vote on it, that it's dirty. And, you know, so if someone is saying, okay, I'm going to hire your niece to be, you know, an instructional aide, um, I could legally vote on that, but because I don't want there to be an appearance of impropriety as to nepotism or whatever, then I can abstain from the vote. Um, another thing to remember about abstentions is voting is majority of those present and voting. So what is an abstention? An abstention is a blank. It's a nothing. It's not um, a yes vote with the majority, you just don't count it in terms of whether the motion passed or not. So if I want to hire an employee and I need three affirmative votes, you know, and I get two votes and two yeses, two no's, and one abstention, the motion does not carry because I did not get three affirmative votes. And it also wouldn't carry if it wasn't a motion that required a special majority because two voted yes, two voted no and one abstained. So th there is no majority. So a majority of those present voting did not vote to pass the motion. Uh, and you, you do want to record that last sentence. I apologize. Oh. Your audio is kind of going in and out ab about so the sorry. abstentions. Um, yeah, I hate the internet. You okay. gave a good example of the um, abstention that didn't have enough, which made it, there weren't enough, enough votes to pass. And then you said something else near the end there. I apologize. Okay. So if it was just a motion that required a majority of those present and voting, if it was two yes, two no, and an abstention, that still would not carry because it's not a majority of those present and voting. So we do want to record our abstentions in the minutes. Um, just make sure that that's noted who voted yes, who voted no, and what happened there. So let's, 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 Try it, okay? Let's the more you use it, the better you'll get. So most, okay. Go ahead and go through this and then I have a couple more questions. Okay, so most motions carry with a majority of those present and voting. So my question to you is, does this motion carry? Three voted yes, two voted no. Okay, that was an easy one. Yes, that carries. Two voted yes and two voted no. No, that does not carry because there's not a majority of those present voting. What about two votes, two vote yes, one vote no, and two abstain? That motion carries because a majority voted in favor. The abstentions are not counted. They're blanks. What about two yes, two no, one abstain? I think I already told you that one. That does not carry, not a majority of those present in voting. So what about two vote yes, one vote no, and one abstain? That motion carries because it's a majority of those present and voting. I think the point here is that when one person abstains, they're not counted as far as whether that motion carries or not. Okay, Kim, what's our questions? Okay, thank you. Um, all right, there's actually a few that came in. Okay, so uh, here's a question. A motion was made and seconded, and then the board decided they didn't want to consider the motion until a later board meeting. How do you get it off the floor and consider it for an undesignated meeting? Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, we are gonna go over that. Okay. Um, I'm gonna hold on, yeah. hold on to that one because I have slides and I don't wanna mess it up. Perfect. Uh, how about who can call for a recess and does it require a vote? Yes, uh, 
anyone can call for a recess. It should be seconded. Um, and there should be dis the discussion if you need to have discussion. Um, but you know, sometimes it'll be obvious what it's for. Um, and then you vote on it. Yes, you do want to vote on it. So the um, body should, should vote. Thank you. What about uh, board members who abstain? Do they have to give a reason for such, or can you ask for a reason for such abstention? Um, they, I would not. Um, I would not do that. Uh, it's not anything that's required by law. Um, we can certainly address that with them privately, but they, they do not have to state a reason as to why they're abstaining. And some, but sometimes I will counsel clients to definitely do that to say, look, you know, I don't have a legal conflict with voting, but my niece is my niece and everybody knows that that's my niece. And so therefore I'm not going to vote on that due to the appearance of impropriety. Um, a couple more, then we'll move on and then we'll do another round after your next section. But um, how or what do you record if a member does not vote, if a member abstains? How do you record that properly? I, yes, I would put um, two, two yays, two nays, one abstention, one abstain. All That's right. exactly what I would put in the notes. <clears throat> Last one. What about a board okay. member who votes whatever? Do I consider that not a vote at all? That's a, that's a real... Oh, oh, that's that an abstention. So sad. Okay, whatever is not a vote. Um, at that point, I, I would want my chair to immediately say, "Sir, or madam, are you voting yay or nay on the motion?" You know, and if they say, "I'm not voting," then that's you know an abstention. But I don't understand whatever in a in a parliamentary or legal con context. So I need that to be clarified before I can understand who did what. Thank you. All right, moving on. Okay. Moving on. Let's do a walkthrough of a motion just so you can see like how it works in practice, right? So motion is made. If it's necessary, the motion is seconded. Spoiler alert, it's usually necessary. So what does a second actually mean? A second does not mean I support the motion. When you second a motion, all it means is I want the body to consider it or I want it to come before the body so that I can do whatever it is that I wanna do with it. It does not mean that you support the motion. All right, so once it's seconded, the chair should state the motion. It is moved and seconded that. At that point, the floor is open for debate. The chair should first turn to the maker of the motion to discuss whatever it is that they have brought forward. Um, heard one this morning about a board member who wanted uh, cell phones to be banned in the entire district and made a motion. So if that motion was on the floor, I would turn first to the person who made the motion as the chair and I would say, okay, what do, what do you wanna say about it? Um, no one should speak twice until everyone who wants to speak have, has done so. So this is a chair duty. This is, you wanna train your chair to make sure that you know they get everyone first before we go to the squeaky wheel and let them go on and on and on about it. So once that motion is on the floor, a subsidiary motion could be applied to it, like the motion to amend, or as we had in our previous question, the motion to lay on the table. So we've got it on the floor and we've decided, oh my God, we don't have enough information to do this. We're not ready to do it. Um, so I'm going to move to table this motion um, and that has to be dealt with before you come back to the main motion. So if it is tabled, then it's gone and we don't have to deal with it anymore. So, okay, so now we are gonna confine remarks to the debate or the motion at hand. So if the motion to amend is uh, on the floor, we're not gonna talk about the merits of the main motion. 
we're only going to talk about the motion to amend, how it should be amended, if it should be amended, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we are going to address remarks to the chair, not to each other, and we are not going to allude to motives of another board member or make personal attacks. Be sure to tell your board members that. Um, we can use, if things are going on and on and on, the motion to close debate, or the chair can just go ahead and ask, are you ready for the question? Not to cut off debate, but, you know, sometimes debate is ending. Um, so then what? The chair needs to restate the motion. This is so important for your board and for you because you now know what is being voted on. How many times have we said, you know, a board member has called the day after a meeting and said, oh, no, no, I did not mean to vote for that. I want to change my vote. Because they know that they voted on the motion as amended. So this is a very important skill that I would try to take back and tell your board president, I want you to start doing this. Restate the motion again, just read it or have the other person say it, um, you know, wh whatever works for you so that everybody knows what you're voting on. And that's going to make your minutes so much easier. So then at that point, the uh, chair is going to call for the yeas and nays. The chair does not call for abstentions. Does anybody want to abstain? Does anybody want to vote whatever? We're just going to call for the yeas and nays. And then the chair needs to announce the result of the vote. This is another thing that sometimes you get, you don't, you're not doing, you get away from. But if you can train your chair to say the vote is three to two or the vote is three, one and one abstention, the eyes have it and the motion is adopted, carried, agreed to, and then move on. Move the next order of business on the agenda is item number four, and then we're getting through it. Okay, so um, this is a little kind of side thing about let's call the questions how to handle nominations for president and vice president. This only happens once a year and uh, at the organizational meeting, which is in January and every January, there's a flood of questions about it. Um, Robert's Rules has several different methods, um, but the way that seems to work best for boards of education is you put all the nominations for board president on the table. There are no seconds that are needed. Sometimes people do a second in support as a ceremonial item and you vote by roll call based on the first nomination made. The person has to have three affirmative votes to become the president or vice president. Um, you know, so that's kind of how that works. Um, if the nominee doesn't get a three, three affirmative votes, then the next nominated candidate is up for a roll call vote. So that's kind of that. But, but you'll forget that. And then you can just call and ask me about it in January. Um, so <laughs> any questions before we move on, Kim? Now we're good. Okay. So agendas. Does the board need to adopt an agenda? You know, yes, please, yes. Um, what happens if they don't? Well, then there's no order of business, you know, and you need to have an agenda for your regular meeting and also for your special meeting because you have to announce the purpose of a special meeting. So all the items on the agenda need to be in line with whatever the announced purpose of the meeting is. Who get okay, so important point here. There are zero provisions in the Ohio Revised Code about the agenda. You can look as long as you want. There are none. There's nothing that tells a board what has to be done in terms of preparing the agenda, who gets to add items to the agenda, who gets to remove items from the agenda. It's not in there. Um, so 
But Robert's Rules does help us with this. So before the agenda is adopted, really anyone could come in and say, hey, you know, by the way, I would like to talk about banning cell phones in the entire district for students. I'd just like to have that added to the agenda. So uh, before the agenda is adopted, the board, the chair can decide, okay, you know, Mike, we're going to add that item for you, even though, you know, no one wants that, but okay. Um, or the chair could say, you know, I'd rather you make a motion to amend the agenda to see if the rest of the group wants to do that. So the board should go ahead, convene the meeting, do the roll call, do the pledge, and then adopt the agenda, take action to adopt the agenda. So once the agenda is adopted, that is the menu that we are sticking with, okay? Um, so if you wanna change the agenda after that, you need to move to amend the agenda. And that would be the time for Mike to move, you know, hey, I'd like to add an item to talk about banning cell phones in the entire district. And then if the item does not get a second, what happens to it? It dies and it's not on the agenda. So let's say you forgot something um, and you need to deal with something. You have a contract that you need to approve or something like that, or you need to non-renew someone. Um, we can, when the board president comes to the meeting, they can say, hey, we're gonna add item number six, which is a personnel matter in which we will be firing the athletic director. Um, so that can happen. But just remember with a special meeting, we must confine our actions to the announced purpose of the meeting. So if we announce the meeting to do one thing, it has to fit within that purpose in order to be able to add an item to the agenda um, to, for a special meeting. So the value of consent agendas, I hope all of you are using a consent agenda and that you understand that the consent agenda is a thing hider. <laughs> we can put things in the consent agenda, which are routine, like your draft minutes, your orders to pay regular bills, approving routine future expenditures like training, staff appointments, things like that. All those things can be stuck into the consent agenda. If anyone asks, if any board member asks for something to be removed from the consent agenda, it should be removed um, as a matter of courtesy. So, you know, kind of that's, there's some strategic pieces there, but we don't have time to get into that. Um, board members do not need to give a reason for requesting that an item to be removed um, from the consent agenda. So that's kind of where we are with that. There's lots more to be learned about the consent agenda. So frequently misused motions, the motion to lay on the table. So uh, instead of using the motion to lay on the table, use the motion to postpone indefinitely or the motion to postpone to a date certain. So if let's say we lay something on the table, um, what happens to it? If it is not picked up by the body at the end of the next succeeding legislative day, which is the end of the next meeting, it slides off the table. That's why we have this graphic um, and it disappears. And then it needs to come back as a main motion. So there, if we don't pick it up by the end of the next meeting, it's no longer on the table to be taken from the table. It can only to get to the table at the end of the next, by the end of the next meeting. Can you so, say that last so sentence instead, we would use the motion. I don't, I have no idea what I just said, but, um, <laughs> but what we want is um, to pick it up before the end of the next meeting. So the motion uh, to call the question, that's another frequently misused motion. Instead, use the motion to end or close debate. So a lot of times people think that it's appropriate to say, you know, just question, question, like they're ready for the question. That's considered rude in parliamentary procedure. So you would instead make a motion to, I think we've, you know, beat this horse to death. I would move that we close debate at this time. 
So, uh, you, you know, then once that motion is approved, we are ready to vote on the main motion. So uh, using most motion to postpone indefinitely lays it on the table forever. Um, or the motion to postpone to a date certain will be ready to consider this in March. Let's put this on the table until March are ways that you can use that motion instead of laying on the table. I just want you to understand the effect of what happens when you lay something on the table. Another motion that is frequently misused is the motion to rescind. There are very specific things that you have to do to uh, successfully use the motion to rescind. It's a main motion. You can bring it at any time, except not in the same meeting. So let's say your board adopted something about a controversial book in the library and the vote didn't go the way one of the board members wanted and they wanna bring it back up at the same meeting to rescind that action. We can't do that. That is not an appropriate use of the motion to rescind. It cannot be used where the motion to reconsider can be used. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. It does require a two-thirds vote of the members present or a majority of the full membership if there's been no notice that a motion to rescind will be coming. Um, if prior notice is given, then it's a majority vote of the full membership <clears throat> uh, of those majority vote of those members present. It is debatable, a motion to rescind is debatable, and it cannot be applied to something that cannot be undone. That's important. Um, so if you've entered into a contract with an employee or you've made a purchase and you've entered into that, you cannot use the motion to rescind to make that go away because rights have vested in the third party. At that point, we cannot use the motion to rescind to undo that. You can rescind policies or other directives. You know, I told the superintendent to go research that and now I'm taking it back. So that's kind of how that works. Okay, moving on to the motion to reconsider. Okay, so we have an example here. Sally Elspeth, board member, wants language added to the policy that the school will not teach children K-12 about critical race theory. Sally made that motion at the last board meeting, and while it received a second and discussion and 45 blistering minutes of public comment to boot, the motion did not carry by a majority of those present and voting. Two abstained, she voted yes, and two voted no. But Sally is not done with this issue. She will never be done with the issue. So at the very next meeting, she makes a motion to reconsider adopting that policy language that she wants. May she do this forever? The answer is no. You can use the motion to object to consideration. Another board member could bring the motion to object to consideration or the chair can do that. So let's talk a little bit more about the motion to reconsider. It's proper only at the same or the next meeting at which the motion proposed to be reconsidered is voted upon. So the motion to reconsider could be used in a situation where uh, somebody voted on something that they didn't know what they were voting on. Maybe they were voting on an amended motion and they didn't know that, that, that that's what they were doing. And they could use the motion to um, reconsider. But remember, the motion to reconsider can only be brought by somebody who voted with the prevailing side. So the, the, the people who won the motion are the only people that can bring a motion to reconsider. So in our previous example, Sally Elspeth Baumgardner did not win the motion. So she was not on the prevailing side. So she actually it is out of order for her to bring the motion to reconsider. And you have to be smarter and know these things um, so that your chair can effectively extinguish people who are doing bad things. 
Um, so this motion can be used to correct ill-advised, hasty, you know, maybe you didn't have all the facts or you were proceeding on facts that were wrong. Um, you can't reconsider twice. So the motion to reconsider um, can also not be amended. We cannot amend the motion to reconsider. It's confusing enough already. Um, so Sally cannot reconsider forever. Um, that does not mean she is going to give up. Parliamentary uh, procedure is a minor magic. It is not full mind control. <laughs> so, okay, last one um, on the motion to reconsider. Some actions cannot be reconsidered. Remember, if rights are vested in a third party, um, that sort of thing. But what we can do with the motion to reconsider is we can lay on the table. The motion to lay on the table or to postpone to a date certain or a date indefinite date um, is very important in getting rid of things, moving things off the table that you don't want on there. So tell your board president, tell them and help them understand how the motion to um, table, postpone indefinitely, or postpone to a date certain can be used to move things off um, the, the table there. The motion to reconsider does have to be seconded. So if somebody moved to reconsider and it did not get a second, it dies there and that's it's not gonna be reconsidered. The second does not have to have voted with the prevailing side. So that's you know a little bit tricky, but if you get there, uh, let me know. The motion to amend. So let's get the motion to amend right. This is probably one of the most commonly used motions. Um, it's, it is, as we discussed, a subsidiary motion. It can be moved during discussion of the main motion anytime after it's seconded. So once we have it on the table, I've already written out like a motion of how I want this done. Um, I can move to amend the motion. I can read what I want amended about it. Sometimes you'll see with the motion to amend people kind of working out and writing things out and discussing um, <clears throat> how they want the amendment to read, but keep them focused on the amendment, not the main motion, not the merits of the main motion, because really what's on the table is the motion to amend. Um, the amendments can be to strike or to add language, replace language, has to be related to the main motion, and the vote is on whether to amend the motion in the way that has been moved. So we're gonna do a vote to amend, and then once we, you know, vote to amend, then we we have the main motion still as amended that we still have to vote on. So if discussion has been varied, there's been wordsmithing, it's very important, again, for the chair to restate the amendment before voting. Should the motion be amended to read and then read it because that means your minutes are gonna be right and people are gonna understand what they're voting on. Um, so we're voting on whether to amend the motion or not in that way. So then the chair should state if the motion to amend has been approved or not, the motion to amend carried, the motion to amend did not carry. So the main motion is still there. So if the amendment was approved, the chair would then ask, is there any further discussion on the motion as amended? If the amendment was not approved, then the main motion as it was originally presented is what is bef still before the body for a vote. And so then we can discuss and vote on it. So that's how it works. Elevating debate. So the chair has a very important role. If you have a brand new chair, you know, a lot of people don't come to the board service understanding parliamentary procedure. So help them, give them training. Um, I train people. So, you know, if you seriously want to bring, you know, me out, I'm happy to train your board president. I'm happy to put together a training of board presidents. Um, act to restore order at the first sign of disturbance. That's a very important thing that you can tell your 
treasure, tell your treasurer, tell your board president that they need to know how to do. Don't let it spiral. Don't let anything spiral. <laughs> um, call to order, announce results of the votes, and restate the motion. Those are some of the most important duties of a board president. And I trained board presidents for many, many years as the general counsel of the Ohio School Boards Association. And I would tell them immediately when they got onto the board that you are not gonna receive a scepter and a throne. What you are gonna receive is responsibilities. And so these are what your responsibilities are. And this is how you can help this district do its public meetings. So all board members need to remember the rules. There's equal rights to speak, to not be interrupted, to adhere to the question at hand disallow attacks on other board members. That's another important thing your board president can do. We're not gonna allow sniping, um, eye rolling, smirking, and texting. Texting maybe during the meeting is sometimes um, very rude, even though not to say that I haven't done it, but um, address remarks to the chair. If you have a you know volatile board situation, it might be better if people just address their remarks to the chair rather than to each other. And why is this so important? The more controversial the meeting, the more closely to adhere to your proper procedure. Do not let people chime in and ask questions randomly at your board meeting at any time. A lot of boards run kind of more informally and people will just call out questions. This is a bad practice. You are reinforcing bad behavior. You're training them that it's okay to do that and your board president is letting them do it. So we need to try to pull that back because when there's a problem, then you know, you're know you not gonna have control. So don't reinforce that bad behavior. Ask your board president to say, oh, you know, thank you for that question. We've got public participation. You know, Maybe you wanna sign up, but we're on this, you know, we have to move forward with the ops and remind your board that, you know, the board meeting is in front of the public. It's not with the public. Um, the chair can refuse to recognize another board member or a citizen who's out of order until the meeting comes back to order. The gavel should definitely be used sparingly, but it can be used when needed. That wraps up this episode of the OASBO podcast. If you'd like to watch the full webinar on parliamentary procedure with Holly, please visit the on-demand section of learn.oasbo-ohio.org. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode and subscribe to receive episodes as soon as they come out. Until next time, please connect with us on Collaborate, OASBO's online community at collaborate.oasbo-ohio.org. 